Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner, Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, if you're just joining us, Al was breaking down uh, the taxation of the different candidates. Um, we're doing, a, uh, of course, our end-of-year tax planning uh, workshop here in Southern California. Uh, you can go to purefinancial.com to get more information. Uh, but we're, we're doing it after the election, uh, so we have some clarity, right. I guess, on who's... <laughs> In office. And what they're probably going to be trying to do. Right. So yeah. let's say if, if Trump gets in, well, we know what his plan is, so we can talk about what this and the likelihood and what planning opportunities may or may not arise. And then if uh, Hillary gets in, here's the what, what she was talking about on the campaign trail, and we'll talk um, more in depth in strategies and things like that. But just remember there, too, depending on what party gets in, when it comes to tax law changes, it's very difficult to do. It is. And so you can't, whatever they're campaigning, either side, the likelihood of that coming into law um, is a little bit different. I remember there was a candidate that was talking about cutting taxes, cutting taxes, cutting taxes, cutting taxes. He gets into office, and what does that individual do? Raises taxes. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) um, it it happens and it, and it's. It, I will never raise taxes, never, yeah. ever. Wait, read uh, read my read lips. Read my lips. <laughs> <laughs> taxes went up. Oopsies. <laughs> I didn't really mean that. Well, I'm in the office now. What are you gonna don't, do? Don't don't read my lips. <laughs> don't, things, yeah. things have changed. Yes. Uh, anyway, I, when it comes to taxes, uh, so the the way this, ha- this this works is bills are put forth, and then the House and and Senate has to approve it, and then it goes to the president to either sign it or veto it. That's how the law works. And right now, you guys already know this: our Senate and Congress they can't really agree on anything. So for many of these things to happen, it seems like a bit of a long shot, but at least you, you, know, you kind of know where the candidates are going. And when you look at Clinton, her proposals, for the most part, are adding extra taxes for those that make a lot of money and defined as, one, in one case, over a million dollars, in another case, over $5 million paying extra taxes. And then you look at Trump's side, and just like you might expect Republican ticket, it's, it's just the opposite. In fact, Trump wants to lower the tax rates, and the highest rate would be 33% instead of what it is right now, 39.6. He wants to get rid of that 3.8% Medicare surtax. So some people are paying almost 44% on their income taxes. But, right and the, the, but if you just do the math, Alan, yeah. I wish that... <laughs> We have those really low taxes, believe me. Oh, it would be great, wouldn't it? Right, but uh, you, you take a look at Medicare. Right. I mean, you and I know what the solvency is yes, in Medicare. we do. And so all of a sudden, now you're going to take funding from that. Well, where's that funding going to come from to make sure that there's Medicare? Yeah, right? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> right? I don't... Well, they, they say that, uh, well, with the lower taxes, then companies are going to be more successful and so they'll, that, what, they'll generate more tax dollars. Well, I get the supply side of <laughs> economics, supply right? Supply side economics, yeah. Uh, and I'm all for that, but I don't know. There, there's there, there's there are limits, uh, Joe. And 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 the other one uh, we didn't talk about this last segment was the corporate rate. Right now, the top corporate rate is 35 percent. 
And Clinton doesn't really have any proposals there, but uh, Trump wants to bring it down to 15%. Of course he does, because of all of his companies, right? Sure. And, and that's really going to help the businessmen and women of this country. And, and so you could, uh, so on one hand, you could say, well, that's not fair, because they already have the money. But on the other hand, you could say, well, wait a minute, they're going to have more money in the company, they're going to be able to hire more people and grow more, and we're going to be more productive, there's going to be more jobs. You can make an argument either on either way. side, as the Republicans and Democrats do. But that's exactly what he wants to do. And, and uh, you know, it's uh, just like you, Joe, I'm all for this, but I'm also uh, first and foremost an accountant. And I don't understand how this works. And it's not just me. It's uh, it's independent agencies that are looking at his proposals have said that we're going to, what is it, something like we're going we're gonna to have $10 trillion of less of, of income uh, over the 10-year period, something like that. And then, but actually what I did just read, Joe, this last week is he modified a couple of things. And now they're saying, well, maybe it's only going to be 4 or $5 trillion. But again, it's less. It's less. Right now, our government's already spending more than it's bringing in. So that doesn't really... It, I, I like lower taxes. Right. Don't get me wrong. Right. But we're, we got to beef up our military, right? That's going to cost money. Yeah. You got right? 10,000 baby boomers turning 65? Yep. Every daily, single day. Daily. Yep. And, and a lot of them are not prepared for right. retirement. Right. So they need Social Security. And so yeah. uh, then you got Medicare, right? Because 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65. And guess what? We're living a lot longer. Um, so, which is good. We're living longer, but sure. also, you know, our bones are still cracking and breaking <laughs> and we need, you know, some sort we of need some medical care. Yeah. But, <laughs> so I don't know. It's, uh, it will be interesting. I yeah, think everyone, everyone is voting not for, but against. I know. That's the first time it's I like, can recall that. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know what? I am so I, I hate this person so much, I'm but voting, I hate this person less. I'm voting for that one because I don't want the other one in. Right. And it's it, it's just crazy. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I mean, we have the, the, the brightest, the smartest people in the world in this country. Yeah, but you know what, Joe? The smartest people don't want to run for president because they're too smart. That's <laughs> not a great job. <laughs> yeah, I know. Digging, digging. I mean, would you want it? No. <laughs> not even a little Me bit. Me neither. Now, they haven't come to ask us to do no. it. But we our answer is no. But, uh, yeah. Getting your skeletons in your closet are all out there. <laughs> no, thank you. Everything that you've done your whole life I know. scrutinized. Right, scrutinized. What happened well, with this? Joe, uh, uh, 2001. Uh, it's, uh... What, what's this? Back in 1992, <laughs> underage drinking at a you, carnival. You, <laughs> you had you, that you, Coors Light can in your hand when you were 19. <laughs> This is unbelievable. I can't believe you had, you, you one time had a gardener that said we're not sure he was a he was legal right. status. Whatever, you know, just <laughs> stupid. Uh, I wouldn't want that job. So no, that would be tough. But so we'll, um, we'll see what happens. Th- there is one uh, sense of uh, consensus on this tax law, which is something that hardly anyone understands. But they both agree with. Uh, the taxes on carried interest uh, should be taxed at ordinary income rates um, and and subject to self-employment tax. And if and you you may have heard candidates talk about this. This is actually the Republicans and Democrats are completely in agreement. What this is is hedge fund managers and the like. They have a tricky tax way to take what would otherwise be their their salary or their ordinary income and turn it into capital gain income taxed at investment rates. And so it's a lot lower tax rate. So anyway. Both sides agree on that one, so something will probably happen there, but all the rest of the stuff is up for grabs, hard to say. Stick around. We'll be right there on the pulse of everything uh, coming up here in the next couple of months, so it should be 
a little bit exciting. Um, yeah, because until Jer- the, the actual day of the election, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how exciting it is. Well, uh, you know, that, uh, sometimes taxes are the last things that people want to talk about. But when it comes to your own retirement, trying to conserve your dollars and pay less taxes is huge, Joe. Because if you can pay less in taxes, then you can probably live live that lifestyle or closer to that lifestyle that you want to live. And so many people, right? You can stretch your dollar around yeah. of, of several years. So many people have their money invested in their 401ks, which is great. I'm not saying that's bad, but between their 401ks, their pension, their social security, maybe they got a rental property, whatever, that's all taxed at ordinary income rates. These are the highest of tax rates. And even if by some miracle we get tax rates reduced, uh, which seems a little unlikely to me, but let's just say that we do, you're still paying very high taxes. And if you can Try to figure out how to save taxes through retirement by repositioning assets, by getting more money into a Roth IRA, by by paying attention to your assets outside of retirement so you've got them invested for growth. Take advantage of capital gain laws. Take advantage of tax last harvesting and things like that. And when you don't do that, to me, it's just it's just big mistakes. People right. are making just leaving big, money, I guess, there on the table again. Big, and yeah. It, it, it's it's also more. Of your distribution plan, when, where, what areas are you going to be taking your money from first? Too is like, do you continue to defer your retirement account? Do you take from your non-qualified account? Do you take from a Roth? Do you have a Roth? Do you have a strategy to create the income long term? And I think most people don't. That's where they need a forward-looking type approach. Yeah, because the the truth is, you can save more in taxes than you think, but you must have a forward-looking, tax-efficient strategy. It just comes down to that. You got to know what your taxes are going to look like all throughout your retirement to make the right decisions today. All right, we got to take another break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner with Alan Colpine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you listening um, either here live on the radio or on our podcast. Go to iTunes and look up Your Money, Your Wealth. You can get us there. You can subscribe, and it will come to your device uh, each and every week. We do a two-hour show. Uh, depending on where you're listening to us, sometimes you might only get an hour um, so you can get the full show um, on our iTunes um, right there at Your Money or Wealth. So I got a few questions for you. Or you got something else? No, let's get let's go for them. Hey, I got a couple um, email questions, and these are not from and and all of you listeners. If you do want to have a question, um, you can always go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, um, or you can email Alan and I directly. Uh, you can just go to our website at purefinancial.com too. Uh, and emails directly. Uh, a lot of you do do that, and so and we usually get back to you within probably about twenty four hours yeah, at, the, at the most. Right. Um, but this is a little bit different. Uh, these questions that we've been reading on the air last few weeks, anyway, and I enjoy it because some of these questions sometimes are quite out there, uh, <laughs> yes. and I like the commentary that we can add okay. to it. All right. <clears throat> and this is from a, a, Investopedia. Okay. And so, if uh, for, for those of you, it's it's a free site, Investopedia. Um, you can ask a question there, or you can look at uh, other people's questions, and then you see other financial professionals answering those questions. Uh, they ask me once a week to answer a bunch of questions, and so what I do is I take those questions, and then we read them on the air. Yes, So, and you get free socks. 
I did a full transparency. I did get a pair of socks. Now you got a cool pair of socks today. Is that part of the free ones or no? These are no. These are purchased. Got, got uh, sharks on them. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, burgundy got, with uh, you know flair. Kind of... Yeah, I gotta have a little bit of flair there now <laughs> in your life. It's really cool. Uh, all right, <clears throat> so here we go. This is what is the best way to leverage in old ex employers four hundred one k. Okay. So the question is, what is the best way to leverage an old ex-employer's 401k at age 60 to invest in what will ultimately be retirement property located overseas? Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> the property will also carry a foreign mortgage. Okay. Let me reread that question here. What is the best way to leverage an old ex-employer's 401k at age 60 to invest what will ultimately be retirement property located overseas? Okay. So this individual has a 401k, I'm guessing, with an ex-employer. Yes. He wants to buy, invest retirement property overseas <laughs> with a foreign mortgage. Okay. Is that is that what you're reading? Is that what you're hearing? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing, which it, it fails in too many Multiple, levels. Multiple. You cannot do it. <laughs> and are you living in that? All right, go ahead. Well, a couple of things, Joe. First of all, um, when it you can, I'll tell you what you can do. You can roll that 401k to an IRA, go to a self-directed IRA. You can buy real estate inside the IRA. It has to be rental real estate. You can have, there can be zero personal use on that property. In <laughs> fact, some people even say you can't even do repairs on that property. Right. I mean, it just depends what accountant and how, how conservative or aggressive, but you certainly can't use it for your own retirement purposes. Uh, to get a mortgage inside of a retirement That's account UBIT is, tax. Is, is even if you can do it, which it's almost impossible to do, if you do it, you have an unrelated business income tax uh, that you basically, you've turned this thing into a taxable investment. You, you turn you, it into a tax time bomb and, is what and, you did. And so you then what happens is you end up spent, you end up paying taxes inside your IRA because of this UBIT tax. Now, if you go and live in it, it's a prohibited transaction. It's, it a, it's a full distribution. And the you know the point you that you do that. <laughs> so here's what you do: if, you, if if that's the only money that you have, and that's the strategy that you wanted to implement, right. Blow out of the 401k plan, pay the tax, buy the place, get a foreign mortgage on it, and live there happily ever after. Yeah. Or or here's a, here's another idea: blow out enough for a down payment, get a mortgage personally, and then each year blow out enough for that 401k <laughs> to keep paying down the mortgage. Right, because rapidly. what he's gonna do is gonna happen anyway. Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> so just you are if I know up front it's gonna blow up, well then just blow it up yourself. Versus, right. or unless you want to sneak around and things. And right now, the IRS is very, very keen on retirement accounts. Oh boy, $24 trillion are in retirement accounts, right? The oldest baby boomer now is turning age 70 and a half, right? So now <clears throat> they know where we live, our ages, the balances. Sure. What's that form now that you get? Um, Fifty four ninety eight. Yeah, fifty four ninety eight each year, and it shows it shows the uh, your balance in the IRA each year. It also shows like rollover transactions and Roth conversions and things like that, recharacterizations. Right. So there's uh, now IRS has forms knowing balances of accounts. Yeah. Right. Where maybe twenty years ago, ten years ago, you could probably get by with maybe not taking as much as your required distribution and things yeah, like that. They're, they're pretty dialed into they're that now. They're so dialed in because there's so much money in there. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Right? It just took them a while. Yeah. Because, you know, they didn't necessarily, there, there wasn't that many people, you know, that were eight, now turning age 70 and a half where there's yeah. distributions and, and dying and, Joe, and so they, on. They especially like it now because at 70 and a half, you have to take a required minimum of distribution. And if you don't, it's a 50% penalty. So if you're supposed to take out $40,000 out of your IRA and forget to, well, they're going to charge you $20,000 penalty. And by the way, you still have to take the 40 out and pay taxes on the 40. Here's one. Should I retire at 66 or take a lower paying job? I am 66 years old and have been making around $60,000 annually. My company is currently restructuring. My only options are to take a lower salary or lower paying job, $33,000 annually, or to retire. Is my social security amount based on the last salary I had or the average? Will I hurt myself by taking the $33,000 job? This is a really good question. Yeah, it is a good question. So let me break this thing down for you. <clears throat> a, Social Security, they look at the top 35 years of wages. 35 years of wages indexed for inflation. And one of the key words there is top, highest. So 35 years ago, if you're working, if you're making $10,000 a year, they'll index that with inflation. I don't know what the number is, but let's just assume that's a $60,000 paying job, right? So what they do, it, by, by working, um, a lower paid job will never hurt you. They will never reduce the benefit. It will always help that you. That you would have had had that you, you retired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm retiring at 66 and say, you know what, I don't want my Social Security to get lowered, so maybe I take my Social Security because I'm going to have another paying job that is significantly less than what I you know, retired at, don't worry about it. So, Joe, what happens if you work 30 years? Do they take five years at zero? Yes. So, so yeah, there's an, if you work, only work 30 years, part-time is actually going to help you. Right. So let's say if you only have 32, 33 years, let's say, of, of service, um, th that uh, accredited that work service. Sure. So that extra year, even though it's at 33, that's going to fill in a gap of the zero, so that average is actually going to be higher. And some people will say, well, I, you know, everyone's going to work 35 years because they get to age 65. But the truth is you might have been a teacher for 20 years and not been part of Social Security. Yeah, but then you've got the windfall elimination provision <laughs> True. there, too, True. right? Because then, hey, I have Telsters yeah. here in the state of California. Right. Then now I'm looking at different things. Or maybe I was a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad. Right. So Social Security will never hurt you by taking a lower-paying job. It will only help you. Because what they'll do is they'll say, all right, well, here, we're only taking the highest 35. And if that's 33 is not part of the highest 35, they just Count it anyway, but in most cases, maybe it's a zero. They'll just plug that in, and your benefit will increase. And then they'll real calculate your benefit. So let's say you wanted to continue to work, and you're collecting your Social Security benefit right now. Once you're at full retirement age, you can collect your benefit. And now, let's say you you get a job making 150 thousand bucks a year, right? So what they'll do is they'll plug that 150 in, and then the next year you'll calculate you your Social Security. Yeah, you'll get a raise. So working working will never hurt you because now if you're 66, you could double dip. If your full retirement age is 66, you take your benefit plus you work your part-time job. Now you're going to have that much more income. Then you don't dip into your retirement savings. Maybe that's going to give you more money to save. I mean, so I mean, there's so many different things that you have to make sure that you take a look at to have a rock-solid game plan. Got to take another break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner. And with Alan Klopine, he's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in today. Go to our podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Um, if you've ever missed any of the shows, I'm sure you would just love to tap into the podcast. Oh, big time. Right? Yeah, you and I listen to our shows all the time, don't we? I binge. <laughs> <laughs> 
No. I, I will say I have done it, and I you always kind of cringe, you know, when you hear yourself. But so uh, you know, some weeks we tape, and I'll be driving around on a Saturday. Yeah. At ten o'clock, ten thirty. You turn on. Ne- never, <laughs> never. I'd much rather listen to something else. I I haven't listened to it in quite a while. I do remember years ago though. Same thing. We taped it, and I was and I and I was listening to it, and I think oh, this isn't this isn't that bad. And then and then and then you would say something, and in my head I was go, here's what I would say, and I said the same thing. <laughs> Guess I predictable. Imagine that. Al. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, no, yeah, I don't. Whatever. Um, all right. I got a uh, couple more, more questions more for questions. you, Al. Yeah, let's have them. So let's see here. How do I report my estate distribution? Oh, okay. that's interesting. Yep. All right. So my estate will be well below the $5.4 uh, federal limit, but is sufficient enough to allow me to purchase a $190,000 home for my son during 2016. What are my IRS reporting obligations? Okay, that's a good question. So I guess he's making a gift of 190 grand for his son. Oh, I thought he was wanting to know how to what what to do with the estate distribution. Well, we could have well, let's both do both. Questions. Right. Yeah. So the first one, the estate distribution, you said it's well under the 5.4 million, which is the exclusion. It's 5.4 and change. In other words, a person passes away, and that amount goes to the next generation tax-free. Now that is uh, actually done on a form 706 by the executor, and so that's where it's reported. So when you actually get the money, there's nothing to do, and a lot of people are surprised at that. When you receive an inheritance, as long as it's not in an IRA, it's not taxable. Right, I guess there's one other uh, exception, and that is if it's a trust deed. If you're, if annuity, you're, yeah, or annuity. If your parents, a trust deed is is if your parents sold the property and the buyer is making payments to them, you'll take over that position. But that those are still taxable. But almost everything else gets what's called a step up in basis, and that happens on that estate tax return. Now, if the estate's below 5.4 million dollars, there may not even be an estate tax return. But you yourself don't have to do anything. It's it's not a taxable event for you. If there was going to be any tax, it would be paid by the estate first before the distribution came to you. So I think what, this is my interpretation. Okay. And I guess uh, these questions are for Investopedia. Uh, we don't know these individuals. I just take this these questions that they send me. Kind of at face value. Yeah, right. And so we, I, 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 part of, the, I guess, the, the show is to decipher what the heck they're trying to ask. Yeah, right. And that's kind of the fun of it. Sure. I think he's being modest, or she's being modest, because my estate is below the $5.4 million limit, but I got enough cash to buy my son a $190,000 home. Okay. So he's based, or she's saying, hey, I got $190,000, I'm buying a home for my son. What are the IRS reporting obligations there? Okay, so in that because the the, the annual exclusion L is fourteen thousand dollars. Correct. Yeah. So if you if you have a gift to a person more than fourteen thousand dollars, then you have to file what's called a gift tax return. And interestingly enough, a lot of people think, well, what what's the gift tax yeah, rate? Yeah, how, how, how much is that? How rate? much is that going to be? Because if it's one hundred ninety thousand, I only get fourteen thousand free. So it's got to pay taxes on one hundred seventy two thousand. Well, first of all, if you're married, you can each give 14000 And if your son is married, then 
then there's another 28,000. So you can, you can what's that, 56,000 can actually go. But over and above that, you file a gift tax return, and all that happens on the gift tax return is it captures that gift, and then when you do eventually pass away, it, in essence, Joe, gets subtracted from your exemption. Yeah, the 5.4 yeah. million. So, so instead of 5.4 million, now when you die, it's 5.2 million. Right. And I know for the accountants out there, I've, I've oversimplified. It's not quite that simple, but that's the idea. You're basically giving a gift early and it just comes off of that so then when you do pass away it's part of the record of as to what you gave away and so then everything is is fair so yeah no current tax and that's that's a great strategy 709 uh, it, right they would have to file a 709 gift tax return is right and mm-hmm. just say hey i gave more than the fourteen thousand exclusion yeah Right. But but I will say, Joe, there are can be issues in that because sometimes there's other kids, and then you're thinking, well, that's not fair, and so you have to think about that. Or do you want to give a, dis, a similar gifts to other kids, or do you want to change your will or your trust to kind of compensate that for that, right? Or do you really want your son to have the house uh, because maybe if they he couldn't afford it, is he responsible enough? Maybe you want to retain wow. ownership. Oh, you judging? Yeah, judging <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm going to judge the son. <laughs> So, so may, poor, may, poor kid, just he was gonna buy a house for his son. Now the son, oh hey, that's great point, Al. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just oh, a freeloader. <laughs> Good job. Why well, can't he afford a hundred ninety thousand yeah, dollars? But you you might want to be you might want to be the owner of the house or 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 and then give it to the son later. I I don't know. There's 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 things you might want to think about besides just the dollars and cents. Here's something else for you. This is right up your alley, Al. Oh yeah. What should I spend first in retirement to minimize high RMDs and avoid return risk? Okay. I am retiring in December at 62 years old. Okay. I am waiting to take my Social Security until 65 or 66. Okay. Should I pull from my TSP? He's got a million bucks in his TSP. Or she's got a million bucks in his TSP. Pat does. Pat has a million dollars in Pat's TSP. Of course it's Pat. To supplement my Fed pension... For the first three or four years, okay? Okay. Or uh, should I instead use my 100K in cash, 100K in stock, and 51K in my Roth at the age of 65, 66? I want to use my TSP funds to cover the gap of approximately $1,000 non-inflated money. I am worried about RMDs. Got it. Yeah, well, you got a million dollars in your TSP. That's right. And 62. And TSP is thrift savings plan for those of you that don't know what that is. It's just the, the, the government's 401k plan. Yeah, right. And so the, the TSP, you can uh, you can roll that to an IRA, right? Sure. Yeah. So If you uh, wanted to. If I don't you, know if it makes sense, too. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Well, I mean, the TSP is, I mean, they have very low cost They do, you know, and a lot, of, funds. a lot of people love the TSPs. Right? Sure. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's not as... Flexible, since you have to tell them, you know, hey, this is the distribution I want for the year versus, you know, if you have your own IRA. So there's pros mm-hmm. and cons. Whatever. And so she, she he or she needs 12000 a year? Is that what I you said? I said, let's see, I'm retiring uh, at 62. I'm waiting to take my Social Security. So there's a gap, right? Yeah. Of about three years, four years. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, to supplement my Fed pension for the first three or four years. Or should I instead use my hundred thousand? Yeah, a thousand dollars. So maybe twelve thousand bucks a year. Yeah, tw- yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, good. So a thousand, a hundred thousand of cash, hundred thousand of stocks. So here's what I would. Pro- so he wants to bridge, or she wants to bridge the gap of the twelve thousand dollars a year from sixty two to sixty six. Yeah. We yeah. would probably say bridge the gap from sixty two to seventy. Yeah. Agreed. 
Yeah, so then the best way to do that is to take money out of your cash or your stock so that you keep your income low, and then you take some of that TSP money and, and roll some of that to an IRA so you can convert to a Roth IRA while you're in lower tax brackets. And I totally agree with you, Joe. You actually want to wait till it's 70. If the shortfall is only $12,000, given these numbers, that's not a lot. Because I guarantee you, right, the, the, um, this person has a pension. Sure. And then the Social Security, then the million-dollar retirement account. Yeah. So this is right what we deal with every it, single day. It, it it's is. like I got a million dollars in my retirement account. I got a pension. I got a Social Security. I'm 62. I'm retiring. What What the heck do I do? How do I start? This person's smart enough to say, mm-hmm. hey, I know I'm going to have a tax problem. I'm worried about my RMD here. Because if you add up your pension, Social Security, and then a required distribution in eight years, that million dollars could be $2 million. Now your distribution could be close to $100,000. That's a mandatory. He only needs twelve grand. Yeah. That's, so now that's, it's forcing out 100, roughly, you right. know, rough figures here. In, in rough figures. So, so to state this another way, so you definitely don't want to touch your Roth. You want to add to it. In fact, you want to be spending some of your stock and cash because that's not going to cause a tax problem. It's going to keep you in a low enough bracket that you can do conversions. And then the question is, how much do you convert? And the answer is, it depends upon your tax bracket. Like, let's say, I don't know if this person's married or not, but let's just say they are. Let's say the taxable income is $100,000 before they do before they take any money out of the TSP. So that means they could, if they live off of cash and stock, and I'm presuming right now there's not a lot of gain in the stock. I don't know if that's true or not, but let's just say then you could do about a $50,000 Roth conversion because the top of the 25% tax bracket, which is what they're in, uh, will be about 150000 So they could convert fifty and still stay in that bracket. Or maybe they even want to convert up into the 28% bracket all the way to where they hit alternative minimum tax, which is where the tax rate gets higher. This is where you got to do some tax projections to figure out what's going to make the most sense. But then if you can do this for eight years, you can get a lot of that TSP money at relatively low rates. Dirt cheap rates right? or what he's going to or she's going to pay in the future. Right. So now you maybe get half of that into a Roth that you don't have to take a required distribution. Every dollar that comes out of there is going to be tax free. It sounds to me that they don't he doesn't necessarily need a lot of the money, so that's going to grow tax free for the next generation. It's huge. This is exactly what Al and I do every single day. And this this case, right? Most yeah. of our clients look just like they this. Sure Most do. of our listeners, you know exactly what we're talking about. Got to take a break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner with Alan Clopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Big Al has got to run out of the station. And so guess what? We're going to do a little best of for the last segment of Larry Swedrow. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> so since Al's leaving, I'm leaving. Um, so t- stick around. This is one of our uh, better segments with Larry. Um, if you haven't heard of Larry, um, stick around over the next couple of minutes. He will enlighten you on the world of uh, personal finance and capital markets. Uh, so let's get Larry on, and uh, we'll see you next week. Um, I think it was last year when we were talking about your last book, but then now we have another book coming out. What's this new book about, and what made you write it again, or write another one again, I guess? The book is called Your Complete Guide to Factor-Based Investing. The academic literature, really since 1992, when Gene Fahm and Ken French wrote their famous paper, the cross-section of expected returns, and added small and value as factors, they call them, that helped explain the returns of portfolios. 
that really changed forever the way we think about investing. We went from thinking about just diversifying between stocks and bonds to now diversifying across asset classes, meaning large cap and small cap value and growth, made the world much more complex, but opportunities for advisors like you, Joe, to help your clients by adding value through superior design, better diversification of portfolios. But the academic research didn't end there. And over the last 20 plus years now, we've actually had papers published to the extent that John Cochran called it a a zoo of factors with over 600 of them identified. So my concern was how does the average investor figure out which exhibits in that factor zoo should they be interested in looking at and considering So I thought it would be a good idea to help provide a framework for people to think about. And we identify uh, eight factors in the book, six for stocks and two for bonds. And we give people a framework that says in order for you to consider a factor, it should have evidence of persistence. It's pervasive around the globe. Even better if it's pervasive across asset classes. It should be robust is the term I use, meaning it can hold up to various definitions. It should also be implementable, meaning it holds up after transactions cost. And lastly, it should have an intuitive reason to believe it should persist in the future, meaning that there should be a good risk-based explanation for these premiums and or a behavioral explanation that should hold up. So the book goes through all of these issues for every one of the factors we recommend uh, and then shows you the historical evidence. So looking at the traditional view, potentially, or I mean, for lack of a better word, kind of more active type management to try to add value, right? So it's looking at timing markets or picking individual securities or different sectors of the market that maybe one individual thinks that is going to outperform. This has changed how you know, certain advisors are, are adding value to their clients by looking at these factors of saying, hey, it's, it's difficult to time markets, it's difficult to predict the future. But if you look at these certain factors and construct a portfolio based on academic science, you will have a higher probability of getting that alpha or outperformance than if you would if you use more of a traditional view. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, basically on the right line, I want to change a couple of the words (laughs) to to make things clear for your audience. So we want to define alpha and beta here. So alpha means that your performance is above the market, but on a risk-adjusted basis. So if you buy small cap stocks and you outperform large stocks, that's not alpha. That's what an academic would call beta, which means simply you have exposure to this risk factor we call small cap stocks. So if you buy emerging market stocks and you outperform the S&P 500, that's not alpha. That's exposure or beta to the emerging market risk. Same thing for value stocks. Or if you buy long-term bonds instead of short-term bonds, that's loading on what's called the term factor. Each of these factors should have a premium. Often, you and I know, active managers claim alpha when they're really giving you beta, uh, meaning it's exposure to one of these common factors that a computer can give you exposure to simply by buying all of the securities that have that common trait, whether it's small stocks or value stocks which have low prices to earnings. So we want to make sure people are differentiating between alpha, which could be skill-based, 
But beta, which just is a systematic exposure to a common factor and doesn't involve any individual stock picking nor really any market timing either. Well, then now there's something that's called smart beta. What's your take? That's just factor investing with kind of a marketing ploy, isn't it? Well, uh, let me say it this way. 99% probably of what's called smart beta is nothing more than beta. Okay. And what that, I mean by that is if you invest in small cap stocks and buy a Vanguard small cap fund that's based upon, say, an MSCI index, that isn't smart beta. That's taking more risk in small stocks. However, let's take two similar small cap funds, neither one of which does any stock picking or market timing. One, and let's even assume that both of them use the exact same index. But one is a pure indexer, which means they slavishly follow the index. When a stock leaves the index, they are forced to trade when everyone knows they're going to have to trade. So their cost of trading is high because everyone knows when they're going to trade and they must pay up to execute those trades. They are what an academic would call a buyer of liquidity and they have to pay up to get that. On the other hand, let's say Joe, because he's a much smarter guy, he builds a fund based on the same index, but he says, you know what? I don't have to trade on that exact day. I'm going to use a computer program called an algorithmic trading program, and I've got these 50 stocks that I need to sell and these 26 new additions that I need to buy, and I'll let the computer uh, send the signal to the market that I want to buy 100 shares of this and I'm looking to sell 100 of that. But instead of taking the offer, I'm, I'm going to give an example. Say a bid is at $10 and an offer is at $10.10. Well, instead of taking the offer at 10.10, maybe you put in a bid of 10.01 or 10.02, slightly above the where the market bid is, and you hope that your bid gets it. But you don't care. You'll wait. Right. Uh, and so that, to me, is smart beta because it's patient trading and over time will outperform the index. Uh, let me give you one other example. Let's say an index includes all stocks, uh, and academic research might show that certain types of stocks have poor returns. We know that the research shows that stocks under $2 have very poor returns. That IPOs generally have very poor returns on average. So you decide, I'm going to screen those out even if they're in an index because the academic research says that would deliver higher returns. That, to me, is smart beta. It has nothing to do with individual stock picking. You're not saying I'm going to buy this IPO and not that IPO, but a systematic replicable approach. So, yes, I do believe there is a thing that you can call smart beta, but 98, 99% of what the industry calls smart beta is marketing hype. Hey, hopefully you enjoyed Larry Swedrow. I know I sure did. Uh, for Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. I want to thank you so much for listening. Go to our podcast at uh, iTunes, Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, stick around uh, next week. We got more great stuff, more questions, more tax stuff, more investment stuff. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Again, for Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth.